Dallas sports fans and all followers in between. Welcome to episode 6 of season 11 of Maroon and Bold, your home for everything CMU sports related. I'm Central Michigan Life Sports Editor Mitch Fosberg here. This week's episode, man, we got to talk about a big one here for CMU football. The game, not only for the in-state MAC teams, not only maybe the I'm going to say second best, unfortunately, Michigan, Michigan State. The second biggest rivalry in the state of Michigan. No offense also to Grand Valley and Ferris, but we got to talk Division One sports here. Just one of the biggest games in the Mid-American Conference happening Wednesday, 7 p.m. at Wallace Stadium in Kalamazoo. Can be seen on ESPNU. Obviously, we will have all coverage for you there. Also, with CM Life. It's Central Michigan against that team from Kalamazoo. You know what I mean. It's Central Western Week, baby! Central Western Week. Chippewas Broncos, both ran 2-2 two two in the Mid-American Conference. If I could talk to him, get a little excited. This is a big one. Uh, neither team can afford that third loss, and you add in probably the biggest rivalry in the Mid-American Conference to go with it. And <laughs> this is going to be a game for the ages. Can't wait. Staff reporter Christian Boer and myself break down this game. We give our final predictions, and... Possibly a change coming to the Mid-American Mid-Ameri- Conference. I'm sorry, folks. I've had a speech impediment my whole life. This is not a good day talking-wise for me. Uh, we break that game down and give our thoughts. Also, um, CMU Volleyball earning two big home wins to get back on track against Akron and Buffalo win those both 3-1. We bring on staff reporter Sean Chase to talk about this week's this weekend's slate of matches against a team that uh, I think the most one of the most misleading in the nation because they're not a state. How was Ball a State? You got it, folks. CMU Volleyball travels to Muncie, Indiana for two matches, Thursday and Friday, both at 6.30 p.m. to take on the Cardinals of Ball. They're still not a state. So, should be a good one. Uh, the Cardinals, one of the top teams in the MAC record-wise. Should be a doozy for the Chippewas, who've had their issues on the road, done well at home, down to five matches. They're trying to work their way back to get to 500, see if we can get, make a run here for the Mid-American Conference Tournament. But speaking of Mid-American Mid-Ameri- Conference Tournament, with the win over Eastern Michigan last Thursday, Central Michigan punched their ticket as the five seed in the Mid-American Conference Tournament. Unfortunately, it was a heartbreaking loss, a 2-1 to one double overtime victory for Buffalo and Buffalo. Had to make the long eight-hour journey. Central Michigan soccer done for the season, but a valiant effort. Great run by the team. Of course, we bring on Stad Port and Norm Wilbrook. Talk about Thursday's game against Eastern Michigan. Sunday's heartbreaking loss to Buffalo, and just his overall thoughts on the season as a whole. Uh, obviously, the the MAC tournament went down from eight to six teams. Getting the five seed this season speci- specifically is quite the accomplishment, in my opinion. So we'll bring you on to talk about that, and then CMU field hockey finishing off their season with two games against Appalachian State, uh, a win and a loss. Fortunately, senior day they got a big win. Uh, it's nice to see them go on a winning note. Uh, their season ends. Uh, four seniors are leaving the program now. Of course, we're bringing on Miss Ashley Bergness to talk some CMU field hockey uh, for the last time for this season of Maroon and Bold. But with soccer and field hockey now over, it's now time for, I think, a season that all sports fans for CMU are waiting for. It's time for college hoops to come back. We got a pair of exhibition matches for both the men's and women's teams. First six, first women's basketball coming off a of Mid-American Conference title. They're at home at 7 p.m. on Thursday, November 4th, against Saginaw Valley State. Again, that's home at McGurk Arena. It's exhibition. Fans, please pack McGurk. It's the first time we have a college basketball game at McGurk Arena where we can jam-pack fans. 
since March of 2020. It's been almost two years. I understand that, hey, it's an exhibition game. But, folks, it's CMU and Sag Valley. Being less fair doing a Thursday night after Wednesday's game, like, come out and support Chippewas. McGregor Arena's going to be bumping. I cannot, I personally cannot wait. I'll be able to watch the game. Uh, you know, uh, then also Friday, men's team on November 5th taking on Olivet College, also an exhibition game. But again, folks, if you're listening, it's the first series of home basketball games for CMU in almost two years. Obviously, Heather Osley has this pro- women's program in the great direction. Obviously, Molly Davis is super fun to watch. I mean, I, I showed my family some some of her games, and man, my family's a big basketball family. They love watching Molly Davis play. She is a great, great basketball player to watch. A Midland native. I can't remember which I can't remember which high school she came from. If I say the wrong one, I'm gonna get chewed out so badly. It's gonna be funny, but. Come out and support CMU women's and men's hoops. Obviously, the men's first-year coach, Tony Barbie. 12 new players, new coaching staff, new everything. Come take a look at the first, at the brand-new era of CMU men's basketball. Again, all of that, 7 p.m. on Friday, November 5th. Also, women's basketball, Tuesday, November 9th. Just to make sure I plug this, because the next week's episode is going to line up pretty tight to it. Uh, first home regular season game against Georgia Tech. Former CMU assistant, Muriel Page, is on the staff for the Yellow Jackets. This should be one whale of a matchup in McGurk. If you can make a Sag Valley game, please come out for Georgia Tech. It's a Power Five school that does really, really well. If you remember, right? They were they were they were an NCAA tournament team last season. It's going to be a great game to watch. It's to be really make or break to see. I think early on what we can expect out of Heather Astley's squad this year, and for the men's side, well. If you want to see a home men's basketball game, I recommend seeing this because the next four, five, six, seven, next seven games are away from McGurk Arena, either on the road or in Las Vegas for a tournament to play both Gonzaga and Bellarmine. The next home game is until Sunday, Sunday, December 5th against Western Illinois. So, Olivet College, November 5th, Friday, 7 p.m. If you could be there, be there. Or be square, just don't be a triangle. Then also their next game for that, Tuesday, November 9th. Traveling back to Columbia, Missouri, Columbia, Missouri like CMU football, they start the year. They take on the Tigers at 8 p.m. That could be on SEC Network Plus or, of course, on the CMU Sports Network. So without further ado, let's talk some CMU soccer, Mr. Noah. Noah Wolper. Snow is staff reporter and Central Michigan Life soccer beat writer, Mr. Noah Wolbrook. Noah, happy Monday. How are we feeling today? Feeling good. Starting the week off well, so hopefully it continues that way. Let's hope so. So as we were talking last week, we knew Thursday against Eastern Michigan was going to be a big one. And uh, boy, that game not disappoint, did it? No, it did not. Nope. Chip was big 2-1 win in overtime. Chat us up about that game, bud. Uh, it, was, it, was pretty, it was pretty good. They definitely needed the win, and I remember we were talking about that when a team's on their last game, even if they're not going to make the postseason, they're going to put up some fight. And they did. They they ended up getting a good goal, but otherwise, I mean, CMU really just pounced on them the whole game. They, they outshot them. They did everything right, got two goals, did what they needed to do. Right on, and that set them up to get the five seed. Just first of all, 
the start of the year until now, did you think that this team would be the five seed in the MAC tournament? Uh, watching them in their shortened uh, COVID season in the spring, there was I, I was definitely having hope that they were going to make the tournament. And they did make it, and it used to be eight teams, now now it's six teams. So it's definitely a lot harder to get in, but I still have faith in them to get that spot. And they proved they could take that spot. Honestly, there's a lot of games that they should have won. Of course, they're all decided by one goal. So uh, they were tight all year. I think they could have even gotten higher seeding, but I think fifth or sixth is around the prediction area. You mentioned those overtime games. Quarter pro game against Buffalo. Fifth straight overtime game. Yeah. Goes double overtime. Yep. Just talk us there about that second overtime where things unfortunately went south for him. Yeah, they, you know, once first half of that game, Buffalo was really putting on the pressure. They were looking like they were going to probably run away with it. But then the second half started, and it was a little bit more back and forth, uh, you know, Play was getting even, but the overtimes is really where it was like, okay, Central CMU has a shot to get this win here because they were going hand-in-hand. Offense was working well. Defense was defending well, but they let up a lot of corners. Buffalo had 12 corners in that game. That's a lot. So it just came down to that one opportunity, and right over the middle, win was kind of in the favor. Nice header by the opposing side, and that was it. So, obviously, after a loss like that, I think sometimes you can feel down, but what was Coach Groves like when you got a chance to talk to him after the game? You know, and uh, we after that game, we kind of continued our conversation uh, after the Eastern game because he, he was talking about how much this team has meant to not only him, but just the whole CMU soccer program. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, all these seniors that are going, these are kind of like, the first group of seniors or first group of people that really bought into what he was trying to accomplish here. Yeah. So I, he, he was, uh, he was happy that the season turned out the way it did was not definitely not happy with taking the loss, but I think he was overall pleased with just the amount of work and effort that this team put in this year. I got a chance to cover one game. They mentioned like, you mentioned the team's a physical team, and then they, they, they took on the identity. They were scrappy, and they mm-hmm. did that all year. But the question I got asked, though, is, like, that's five straight overtime games. Like, did you feel like maybe overtime or second overtime they felt just a little fatigued, or was that even not a factor? Really, the only, the only game that I really saw a lot of fatigue kick in was, oh, what, what game was that? Just a few, few games ago. Not Ohio. Bowling Green? I think it might have been Bowling Green. It's because um, a couple of the players went down with injuries, which really didn't happen all season. Uh, they were they were fine to play in the next games, but you know you have a couple of players that are key rotation, and then the players are gonna really start to feel that fatigue. So that's really the only spot that I saw them. But from what I could see, they're a very well conditioned team. Uh, Coach Groves really had a good rotation down with keeping people energized. And really the defense, um, Logue Sisters, Cass Chalk, Murray Cass Chalk, um, Riley Mann, Allison LaPointe, the keeper, like they're in all game. And they kept on going, 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 no matter what. So 
big big ups to them. So I'm gonna ask you, um, with this season now, all feeling like, what was your biggest takeaway from soccer this year in 2021? My biggest takeaway is that this might be a staple for CMU. This this could be a very very good program with coaching with players. I, you know, a lot of seniors are leaving. We'll admit that, you know, Marie Kastrzok, Riley Mann, Chesney Wargo, Maddie West, uh, just to mention a few, but, and Samantha Katoro, another big, she was a big spark plug this year. They're all taken off. They'll be done, but, you know, this, this core group pretty much is all sophomores. They're all second year students. They still got two, three years left in this program, and they're already playing very key roles. I think this could be a championship contending team, possibly for their tenure. We'd love to see it. Um, any last thoughts about this team before we sign off for our final soccer talk of this season? Man, it was a pleasure watching them. A lot of, every game was close. So a lot of excitement, especially just, you know, reporting on them in general, but also just watching it from a fan's perspective as well. Just a lot, just a lot to, like, be excited for because half the games that they lost could have gone either way. So there's a lot in store for this Chippewas team. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they do next year. Right on, right on. Talking soccer for the last time this season, the Maroon Bulls, Mr. Mr. Noah Wolbrock. Noah, thank you for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mitch. So, CMU Women's Soccer finishes the season at 9-8-1 overall and 6-4-1 and in the Mid-American Conference. It's a great year by uh, Jeremy Groves and the squad. Uh, it's really fun to watch this team this year. I got a chance to watch the Michigan State game and... Uh, you know, they mentioned about taking the identity of a physical team that kind of plays in your face, and they really, really, I think, uh, really rallied and identified with that whole mindset, and it was really fun to watch. So, congrats, CMU Women's Soccer, on a good season. Now let's talk some CMU Volleyball with Sean Chase. So, before we get talking, i got to ask, I'm sitting with Mr. Sean Chase here. Sean, it's November 1st. Are you the kind of person that plays Christmas music as of right now, or do you wait till after Thanksgiving? After Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'll wear my Christmas sweater. I was wearing it way before Halloween, but I will not turn the music on yet. So basically, you are a normal human being. Yes, sir. I love to see it. So sitting here with Mr. Sean Chaser, volleyball beat writer. Sean, happy Monday. Thank you. How are we feeling right now after two big wins? Oh, I feel great. They're, CMU Volleyball is the only team that I follow that won this weekend, so... <laughs> Thank God for that. Let me see it. So let's let's go over these matches real quick. Uh, Friday, pick three one win over Akron. The Zips. We kind of talked about Akron. You know, unfortunately, it's Akron yeah. in the MAC. It's kind of a bummer. Uh, just talk about that match for me real quick here. Like, what's some big keys? What happened? And just how were they able to get momentum going again? It started out pretty good. CMU came out and stole the first set quick. Put it on Akron, and they looked like a team we haven't seen in a long time this season. They dropped the second set. Akron came back and fought, which was expected. We had them at home. We have a pretty good home record. We continued to maintain that. Pulled out three and four, one three one over them, and it was good to see. Like I talked about last week, Savannah Thompson's got to stay in a rhythm. She did not get out of rhythm. That swagger was all over the court, and it was. She was a big piece of it. But Linnea Willer went thir- had thirteen kills on a four seventy eight hitting percentage. When both sides of your offense are hitting like that and the middle's playing 
decently. Elizabeth has had some struggles when people try to block her, but they pulled it off and they looked really good. So now forget now forgive me if I'm wrong, but Savannah Thompson was there before their Friday game because of some history she made. Correct. Yeah. Yes, what, what, what did she do? She entered the thousand kill thousand dig club. Only the fifth player in CMU history to ever do that. That was historic. You mentioned history. Grace Butler also made history that same night, entered the 3,000 assist club, the seventh player in CMU history to do that. It was a historic night overall for CMU. So, so a good senior class. Yes, sir. Call. So then Saturday rolls around. I caught the last set, fortunately. Uh, Buffalo, 3-1 went over the Bulls. You play, you play two matches and you go 6-2 and two in the sets. It's a good weekend, but talk to me about Saturday's match here. That one was a little bit closer, it felt like. The second set was a struggle. Golic even said we, there were some issues between us both in that set. We ended up pulling it out. We dropped the third set to Buffalo. That's when I started to get nervous because Buffalo, it looked like CMU was completely out of the game. And not as like, a, oh, we quit, but their rhythm was off. We were in rhythm the first two. Third set, they came back. Fourth set, we came back and slapped them in the mouth, in my opinion. And it was largely because of Anna Erickson. She... Golic told us this after the game, but he had talked to her about if those first three kills don't go your way, that doesn't mean you're having a bad night. You can flip it at any moment. She flipped it, had 13 kills and 429 hitting percentage. She responded when they needed her most. So, so basically, by the sounds of it, it looks like their uh, outside hitter rotation is starting to kind of find its groove right now. Yes, sir. That's exactly what I would say. And they've struggled with it. The left side, which Savannah Thompson holds down the left side, she rarely leaves the court. They don't really got to worry over there. The right side has been kind of a rotating cast of characters, I guess you would say. Anna Erickson has stepped up. And it seems like if Linnea Willer is struggling, Anna Erickson is the person to go to. And it's good to have when you have a top-tier freshman in Linnea Willer. There's not a freshman outside hitter that I can see in the conference like her. It's good to have backup behind her. So You love to see that, honestly. So right now... Sitting five and eight in conference play with five mag matches left to go, but we talked about the struggles on the road and how they're different at home. But last two road matches for now: doubleheader at Ball State Thursday and Friday. Thursday starts at six thirty. Well, Ball start at six thirty actually. Um, chat me up about Ball State. What do they present? What's the, it? What's what makes the Cardinals just so tough? And and before you start, PSA is always when we play this team. Ball is not a state, but you have the floor, sir. T- talk to me about the Cardinals. Well, they're very good. This year, they're 22-3. and three. Currently, in the overall standings, they're 12-1 and one in the MAC. They're 9-0 and oh at home. We're headed to Muncie, Indiana. It's going to be a struggle. But the way I'm looking at it is if we steal one against Ball, or Ball State, and they, they're blocked, they're kills, they are top tier in the conference. The Natalie Mitchum, she's got their kill leader's got 268 already on the year. She's got 80 total blocks to go with that, and she's not even their leader in total blocks. It's going to be a battle for us. We steal one, we're still in the hunt to get into the MAC tournament because we're tied for fourth with NIU, who we beat one and one, so or what we split matches with. So what you're saying is these last three, this home this home series for Toledo and the last one against Eastern is. Going to say a lot about how the season could end. That's the big thing. If we can steal one and then roll at home, which we've continued to do, we the volleyball team is impressive in McGurk. Away from McGurk, they struggle a little bit, but we take one, we can roll through, we could be perfectly placed where Golic and the team wants to be going into the tournament. Right on. So, 
What's your expectation for Simi here? Do you think they can go three and two in his last stretch, four and one, five and zero, oh, somewhere on the table, and make a seven zero oh stretch at the end of the year? Or how do you see this shaking out here? These last five matches. I want to say five and zero, oh just because I'm an eternal optimist. I want to see it, but I think four and one is a reasonable expectation. The team is rolling right now. Savannah Thompson or Savannah Thompson's got three games in a row where she's gone over ten kills. She's continuing to pile up the digs. They got Ali Gertiza back. Four and one is what I'm expecting. So, right on. Any last thoughts about this team before we sign up for the week? No, just be surprised if we beat our. Don't be surprised if we beat Ball State in both these matches. We're very good. We may not look like it on paper. We're one of the best teams in the MAC, and it's time to show it. Right on, ladies and gentlemen. That's Mr. Sean Chase, our volleyball beat writer. Sean, enjoy your Monday, my sir. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. CMU Volleyball currently 11-14 overall and 5-8 and in the Mid-American Conference. They got a chance here to maybe pull 500. They can get a, they can get a split here at Ball State and went out with two matches against Toledo and one against Eastern Michigan down the road here. But let's transition here to talk field hockey for the last time this season. Let's talk with Miss Ashley Brickness. Well, folks, one sports season has come to an end for Central Michigan. Central Michigan Field Hockey 2021 season in the books of the fall. Joining us now, as always, Talk CMU Field Hockey is Miss Ashley Bergness. Ashley, happy Monday. How are we feeling today? Pretty good. The sun is shining for the most part. Yeah, it's not cloudy or dreary. It's cold, but yeah. I can manage that. But yeah. So we're talking, it was the final weekend. Two games against Appalachian State, a school that haunts the nightmares of Michigan fans from dealing seven, including me as a child, but I'm over that totally. But uh, game one, the one accounted for the max standings, 3-1 loss. Saturday, senior day, didn't go toward max standings, but get a 2-1 win. Just start off, talk about Friday's game. Yeah, so Friday they came out and they were playing with the intensity and they were, it was a pretty evenly matched game for the first half and then the second half, the intensity kind of fizzled out, and they weren't really working with each other anymore. It was more one-on-one, doing their own thing, and I think that really affected them. And there was a moment in the second half where one of the players on app took it all the way down the field, and that kind of, like, made an effect on the Chippewas, and were kind of like, oh, snap, like. So somebody, some, somebody goes coast-coast on defense and scores. Yeah, I- it was, yeah, it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. Dang, and then Saturday, obviously, a big win senior day. The four seniors, to my knowledge, says the last of the Molly Pulowski recruits is now all Catherine Offswitch players. Yeah. If I'm wrong on that, I apologize. But um, talk to me about Saturday then. Obviously, seniors got recognized, but they walk out there with a big win. Yeah, Saturday was amazing. You know, they went out and they, they weren't going anywhere after this game. Their season's over, so they kind of just went out and played for the seniors, get this win for the seniors, and end on a good note. And... They did that, and they came out with intensity. They scored first and kept scoring, and the second half, like, they just had to stop App from scoring, and they did that. So it was really good. So the season ends 4-13 and overall, 1-6 and in the conference, 2-6 and at home, 2-6 and away. A couple highlights, I mean, the win against Kent State. Oh, my goodness. I remember right, that was your first assignment? Yeah, Against the ranked team, that was your first assignment you see a win. I was still jealous about that. Because <laughs> the year I covered them, they went 0-18. I wrote a column that wound up getting the coach uh, gone from her job a couple days later. Now Oswich is here, and here we are now. Yeah. But, man, just I know you probably didn't know much about field hockey, because remember correctly, it's not that big in Illinois. Yeah. But just, you know, it's what it takes in the whole game. Because to me, it's just 
It's, it's slow paced for my liking, but it's still just a fascinating sport to watch. Yeah, it's slow, but when it picks up, it picks up very fast. Like, it could go, like, scoreless the whole time, and then the last three minutes is when all the scoring happens, and it's kind of like a, oh my gosh, wait, what? Like, I gotta go back, you know? Hmm. It's really fun to learn about and watch. Yeah, it's, it's this weird combination of, like, ice hockey and soccer, but yeah. it takes a lot of stuff from soccer, including the excitement for me, so I... I have a hard time watching sometimes, but any last thoughts on CME Field Hockey before we um, wrap it up for the season there and then get you started in some other sports? Nope. All right, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thank you. Yeah, I got to say, uh, when I covered CME Field Hockey in 2017, it was an 0-18 season. Uh, Molly Pulowski uh, was out the door as head coach, and Catherine Ostwich took over. Uh, this year, 4-13 overall, 1-6 in the Maryland Conference, but... <clears throat> Honestly, when it came to Mac play, this team was better than their record indicated. I mean, a two-one loss to Ball State, you knock off Kent State one to nothing in in at home. It was twenty-three rank at the time. Uh, obviously, you lost to Longwood, so be it. You always want to make a game. Two to three loss at Miami. Two-one loss, two two to one overtime, double overtime loss. A two to one double overtime loss. To Ohio at home, a 3-1 loss to Bellarmine, and then a 3-1 loss to Appalachian State. Folks, I get it. The record wasn't great, but let me tell you, um, this team was competitive. It really was competitive. Uh, when I covered this team, obviously, um, those scores were nowhere near as close. There was a lot more lopsided. I mean, maybe one game against Bellarmine was a little lopsided. But other than that, they hung in tight with everybody in the conference. They were not an easy out. They were competitive. They fought hard, and... Uh, no, I'm really excited to see where the direction of this program goes with Ostwich. Um Now it's just all her recruits that are left. Uh, so we'll see how the Catherine Ostwich era really takes over here now that it's all her players. But without further ado, let's talk about the big game here. Let's talk about Western versus Central with Christian Boer. Christian, it's my favorite week of the year. It's one of them. It's Western Week. Joined here by football beat writer Christian Boer. Man, we say we held back a little bit last week, but let's lay it all on the line. Western Central. First of all, how are you doing this Monday? The sun's shining. It's a little chilly, but how's your Monday going, first of all? Not bad, man. You know, I slept about an hour over the weekend just from doing – we went to college game day. We left Mount Pleasant at like 3 a.m., uh, watched the game, had a great time, didn't hardly sleep at all Saturday, and then got a little bit of sleep on Sunday. But it was nice to be able to go to bed at a decent time last night and, like, wake up because I feel really rejuvenated. And, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend of sports in the state of Michigan. And, and it's a shame that, you know, and maybe this is a bad take, but it's a shame that they play this game on a Wednesday. Yeah, it is. Because I feel like that, obviously, you're not going to get as many people to Central Western as they did for Michigan, Michigan State. But, I mean, th- this could be a huge weekend for Mount Pleasant or, or Kalamazoo as it is this year. But instead, you're going to play it on a Wednesday night. And granted, national TV is national TV. But, it, it and, you know, I don't want to get too much into this because obviously we have a lot to talk about. But I think it's worth weighing to whether this revenue or this rivalry is more about getting seen on TV or if it's about fans experiencing it and having a great time at the game. So, And honestly, in my opinion, that's about 
the moolah, which yeah. I remember my fingers were. I realized we're not camera fans. Yeah, just can't see. It's a. It's all about the Benjamin. Yeah, right. That's what it is with this conference. Unfortunately, that's the way. It's the way that deal is struck right now. Yeah. Now, um, that got asked at 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 a at a Mac Media Day, yeah. and Steinberger kind of held back, said, "We have five years left on our TV deal." That was it, and I love that so much because actually a good question. But yeah. let's get to this game. Western Central. I've been on both sides of it. For those who don't know, I grew up in Climax, Michigan. It's in the boonies. It's 25 minutes away from Waldo Stadium. I am freaking amped for this one. Because I actually get to be in person for this game. Yeah. Um, Christian, just talk about just talk about this game. And talk to me what you're looking for. Yeah, I think it all starts on... Well, first of all, I'm, I'm very much in the dark as to what kind of crowd Western's going to get. I think that'll be interesting to see... Oh, when we get down there. But as far as the game goes, I'm just looking at CMU's secondary, man. I want to see what they can do because, you know, Western's Dwayne Eskridge lit him up last year. He's gone now, but it's like, okay, we lose one guy. We got three more now. Yeah, um, Sky Moore, too. Sky Moore. And it, it's just, it's going to be really interesting because that depleted secondary, McNary's still out for CMU. Uh, Dante Kent, I mean, he's got all the instincts. It's just a matter of he can't really make plays on the ball. I mean, he's still a freshman, too. Yeah. Like, they're still so young. Again, they are very Again, young. 70 freshmen on this roster listed. It's a young squad. So we'll see. Yeah, for me, um, that's all about the last 30 minutes. Yeah. We know what Central can do in the first 30. We know Western can hang in there. But with this young squad, can Central hang on to a lead? And most importantly, this is the big thing for me. We talked about this last week, too. I talked about this, too, on the Sports Money Conduct they filled in for Megan Youngblood this week. Um, Western Michigan second half has a very Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. Mm-hmm. We saw that Kent State came out, took them out back throttle, put up like 60-something points. Yep. But then you see against Ball State, last 20 minutes, they get down by 28 nothing. Then second half against Toledo, they're up, they're up two points, and then all of a sudden, blink of an eye, Toledo's up by like two, three possessions out of nowhere, and Western's reeling. Like, which Western Michigan team is going to show up in the final third? Yeah. Like, I, honestly, Caleb Ellaby, I think, is, should, could probably get consideration for Mac Offensive Player of the Year at the start of the year. I thought he was the best quarterback in the conference. Oh, is he, is he going to be the guy, or is Danny Richardson going to stay on this run? Is Central going to find a way to run the ball in the second half? And again, secondaries. I think both teams need to need some work, but we both agree there's gonna be a lot of fireworks here, right? Yeah, no, I think that you hit the nail right on the head with um, second half because I think part of that is coaching. I think that Central Michigan, um, I I I don't really know how to properly phrase this, but they've been out adjusted. I mean, you saw Toledo come out in that second half and they made adjustments and got back in the game. Northern Illinois came out and made adjustments, although really their only adjustment was running the ball down our throats. Uh, but, you know, it's it's about adjustments. And Central Machine hasn't been able to adjust in the second half of the last two games. And if they do so this week, I think they win. But, I mean, it's about keeping it close in that first half and then making yeah. the necessary adjustments. Now, here's a fun fact I love about this. I'm looking at the odds right now according to ESPN, or ESPN, as normal people call it. Western Michigan favored by 10, over under 67. Give me Central Michigan in the over. Yeah. Both teams are scoring 40. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's going to be cold, but... After we saw last year, um, both teams can both teams are explosive when in this in these kind of games. Like, yeah, wasn't it a pick'em last year? I think it was maybe one or two points in favor of uh, Central. It might have been. I don't remember, because um, I wasn't really doing the small wager betting yet. But who's but 
who's like one under the radar guy for CMU who they needs to have a big game if they're gonna win the Central, Central Michigan wins this game if blank plays their game of the year. Oh, um, you know, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and it might not be the most uh, under the radar per se. Actually, you know what? We'll take it a step further. I think that in order for Central Michigan to win this game, Darius Bracey's got to have a good day. He's coming back. Uh, they needed him for the insurance because they wanted redshirt DJ Stepney, the true freshman. Um, and he just has that ability to impact the game with his ability to run the ball, his ability to, to line up and do a bunch of different things on the offensive end. And I just think he can be such a weapon. And he can kind of be the, the lightning to Lou Nichols' thunder almost. And you've seen Lou Nichols, granted, he's more than capable of getting 30 carries a game. But I think being able to have somebody who can maybe take five or five, anywhere between five to ten off of that load and be successful in that role is going to be huge. And so I think that Lou Nichols uh, will be huge. And also a guy we haven't heard anything from, uh, don't know how much he'll play, but for some reason it just strikes me that he might make an impact is LeVar Gums. I don't know why. I just woke up this morning thinking that LeVar Gums could play a big role if CMU's going to win this football game, and he's like a second-string wide receiver. So we'll see what he can do in one. But I certainly think that Bracey's a guy that needs to step up and have a huge game. So for me, it's maybe a bit of a cop-out because I think it's a player. The front four in defense. Yeah. If, you, if they find a way to shut down Western's round game and just make LLB round for his life and just cause chaos, it's game over. Yeah. Without a doubt. Like, yeah, okay, but secondary might get burned a couple times. It's going to happen in any game. Even if all DBs get burned. Like, it happens. If you can limit that, but if Troy Hurston, Sadiq Bain, Thomas, and Coombe can win the battles on the edge and cause chaos, if Teagle Brown, but most importantly, if Jaquez Bristol can not jump off sides yeah. and, and Wallace Stadium again. I remember that all too well. I was a fan. I was not sober, and but I was mad. Yeah. I was mad. But, um... You know, if that defensive line can hold and that defensive line can win that line of scrimmage battle, we know Simu's O-line can move some people. Yeah, We've seen it, especially now with, I think, Keegan Smith filling in now. He looked like a monster against Ke- NIU as Ke- a freshman. Keegan Smith is a monster. And we're talking about, okay, um, Kimbrell looked good. It's, this looked good all year long. Tyron Ferris has held up the left guard spot fairly well. Yeah, he's done a good job. And both Gedke and Bernard Raymond are, are NFL prospects. Yeah, Like, that offensive line is... Good. If they can move people and their defensive line can win that battle too. If CMU wins the line of scrimmage battle, it's game over. Yeah. But, I agree with you. but it's Western and their physicals all get out. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. But I want to talk about this too, kind of. Uh, kind of shift away from the game before we make our final predictions. It may drop, it may happen shortly after this episode drops. Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee yeah. State may be Mid American Conference bound. What are your thoughts? I think it's great. Um, you know, Central Michigan has a little bit of history with both teams. They've played them in bowl games. I think they've played Western Kentucky twice, and then they played Middle Tennessee once with, uh, I think it was actually the first bowl game of the Fever era. Uh, they beat them 31-10. I think it's awesome. I think that those are two pretty solid teams. I think it's great for competition. And I think you put it out there that uh, Western Kentucky to the west and Middle Tennessee to the east. Uh, I almost wonder if maybe there's a little bit of a shakeup in terms of divisions and maybe you send them both to the East and, uh, oh, pull maybe Akron over or, or something like that. I guess I don't really know, but that East is going to be so loaded if they can throw Middle Tennessee into that and also Western Kentucky. I mean, there's already enough parity in the MAC. 
and to see those two or to see Western Kentucky come into that, man, that would be so much fun. So I think it's awesome that um, the exposure for the Merrimack Conference starts to drop down the Nashville area. Yeah. So you have the Cincinnati market, um, Indianapolis market, Detroit market, Chicago market's in there too. Now you got Nashville in there too. But also, you kind of mentioned about the division look. A former drum major here named Mr. Ryan Cup pointed this out to me on Twitter last night. Have Western Kentucky and Mid Tennessee State kick off the East and move Bowling Green back into the West like they were in before O five happened. Okay. Before UCF and Marshall, you know, bailed. So that way that Toledo Bowling Green rivalry gets reignited. Yeah, that's no, I like that idea a lot. Uh, have they said when and then this is when this is going to happen? So, uh, the rumor is I think the 80s were supposed to vote Monday or Tuesday, then the president were going to vote the next day. So, maybe the announcement comes by Friday. So, then, would it be for effective next year or the following year? I don't know when it's going to happen, but when, I, but when it does happen, Conference USA is down with three teams. They're dead in the water. Uh, yeah. Because well, uh, so many teams are bailing off that. Yeah, who's left? Like, Florida International? Uh, I know UTSA just moved to the AAC. Yeah. And they locked up their coach, which is an absolute genius move, because they they UTSA is what eight and zero, seven and zero, something like that. And they just switched to the AAC, and they knew they were going to have to invest more in football to stay competitive. So they just threw a seven year extension at their head coach, who probably now that TCU's job is open, was probably gone at the end of the year. And instead, they lock him up, headed into that new conference. And I don't know. I just think that's a stroke of genius. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes for, for a team like CMU who, you know, with Jim McElwain, are they going to get anybody better? I don't know. But at the same time, the world's changing fast, and you don't want to be caught behind the time. So I don't know. We'll see what kind of ramifications this has. Uh, I've got a ton of ideas spinning through my head. I mean, is does the MAC title game still stay in Detroit with so many new markets? I think you have to, honestly. Yeah, I do too. Uh, but... I don't know, man. It's just exciting to think about it. Also, do you chop another non-conference game off? Because a lot of these teams are playing nine-game non-conference schedules, and if you've got seven teams in your division now, do you just play the two crossover games, or do you add a, add a ninth conference game, like, say, the Big Ten or the SEC? That's a great question. We're going to find out on the road. But before we wrap this up, final score predictions for Wednesday's game. Yeah, uh, you know, I'd love to sit here and be the eternal optimist. I'd love to sit here and tell you that Central Michigan can, can go in there and do this. And I'd be, I mean, I think they can. Uh, but I think, you know, being logical and, and throwing my biases to the side, I'm going to take Western Michigan. I'm going to take them 41 27. Um, I just think that maybe it's a game for half. And then, you know, you see Western start landing some of those knockout punches, Ella be hitting some bombs, you know. Uh, Sky Moore running around. Jalen Hall, I think his name is, uh, scoring a couple times. So I just think the offense is too explosive on the Western side. I think Lou Nichols is good enough to keep this thing close, but um, you know they they may become one dimensional. And I think Daniel Richardson, uh, he's been good and he hasn't turned the ball over, but I just don't know if he's got it in him to to win this game with his arm. I'm sticking my prediction. I put in my article last week. Central Michigan, fifty one, WMU, forty four. I, I think that would be sick. I think uh, hey, last year we saw we saw explosive it was last year. They really back got back with an eight. Yeah, I know that is that w- it was a great game, um, last year, uh, and and Daniel Richardson was limited in that game with a shoulder injury. But I don't know. I think I think the Chippewas can get it done. Uh, I just 
that secondary to me is the biggest glaring hole on either side, the yeah. CMU secondary. And for me, I'm still concerned with Western's red zone defense. Yeah. I mean, Tim Lester said they have, Tim Lester said they're working on things over the summer, and I don't think it's 100% there. Yeah. So if they can get down to 30 20, which we know they can, um, they could have a heyday. But any last thoughts before we sign off for the week? No, sir. Let's go. Let's get this rivalry thing going. What'd Jim McWayne call him? That other team? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, ladies and gentlemen, this wraps up this episode of Maroon and Bold. That's Christian Boer. I'm Mitch Fosberg. Chippewa fans, be safe.